And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Good to be here, Dan. And also on the line with us, the Reverend Kevin Sherrod. Thanks for having me, Dan. Well, gentlemen, it's nice having you in the studio today, Kevin, tied in remote. This is a significant weekend to us because on January the 22nd, back in 1973, the uh, U.S. Supreme Court handed down Roe v. Wade and uh, legalized abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. And uh, by some estimates, more than 54 million children have died from abortion. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about this whole uh, scenario today here on A Plain Answer. And uh, by way of introduction, uh, Kevin, I think I've known you going on some 25 years or more now. And I recall that um, quite some years ago, you were involved with um, starting the Crisis Pregnancy Center in New Paltz. Do I remember that correctly? Yeah, that's right, Dan. Myself, my uh, my wife Cheryl, and a, a bunch of other local Christians from the Hudson Valley were, uh, I think that was probably in the early 1980s that that happened. Yes, you're correct. Your memory's correct. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought, and um, thank the Lord for that group. It is still going today, and so it's uh, it's wonderful to see Christians getting involved with solutions to problems, and it shows a, a great... Uh, Love for people, uh, an endearment to them, wanting to help uh, however you can with crisis pregnancies. And uh, this whole thing of abortion, uh, Kevin, I'm just wondering, here's a thought that I have, and that is, um, maybe this is premature to ask you this, but some of the language, some of the language that is heard by folks who are, you know, pro-abortion, um, some of the language, could you review what uh, they put forward in terms of the use of language as they defend their position? Uh, that's a good question, Dan. I think the, uh, the way this dialogue happens in our culture is such that, um, in many ways, those who are pro-life have essentially lost the battle of the words, and, and the thing gets framed in such a way that words like um, choice and um, women's rights and reproductive rights and freedom and privacy and a, and a whole cluster of words like that are, are used by those who are pro-abortion and those words uh, make the pro-life people sound like they're either invasive or tyrannical or against women or rights. So, so the, yes. yeah, the crucial word, is, I think, is the word choice, where essentially on the other side... Um, they're, they're pro-choice. Now, in one sense, that's, that's a correct identification in the sense that they've made essentially an idol out of the actual act of choosing. Choice itself becomes a sort of quasi-deity in this sort of a uh, framework. Uh, on the other hand, what they, what they obscure is what choice is being made, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We both, both sides affirm the right to choose life. They affirm the right to kill the unborn child. So the only choice they're actually defending, in reality, is the choice to kill. Um, so there, there's a couple of things going on with the use of the word choice. It, it's, it's tearing freedom out of any ethical context, so that choice becomes an abstraction, and it's, it's obscuring what is chosen. Right, and I think even even when you get to that point, Obscuring what is chosen, uh, you know, uh, like you say, it's abstract, but even when you get to the concrete, then we have the other words, 
it's a uh, it's an unviable tissue mass, or it's a um, a fetus, mm-hmm. and they don't want to use the word child because mm-hmm. that implies personhood. Yes, that's true. Yeah, Place. I think yeah, I think it's important to to realize that now with the embryology and, and the, you know the technologies we have, it's very difficult for anyone to deny the uh, you know the basic biological humanity. Uh, of the child in the womb. So what they do, at, as Mark just alluded, is they, they, they'll grant that, because we can see that now, um, but they'll, they'll defer um, the notion of personhood until some later date when a court bestows the idea of legal personhood mm-hmm. on, on the unborn child. And in that sense, again, uh, you have a, a kind of a, almost a... Um, a demonic notion where personhood gets bestowed by the state or by the court. Right. Yes, yes. And, and someplace here, I think I've got the paper here, um, what got me thinking about the language was um, there was a memo that came out by the NPR ombudsman uh, back in, um, what, 2010, March of 2010. And they were um, basically saying that NPR News is revising the terms that we use to describe people and groups involved in the abortion debate. And they went on to say, on the air, we should use abortion rights supporters or advocates and abortion rights opponents or derivations thereof. So right away, they're setting this thing up, uh, indicating their extreme bias on this issue. Yeah, because who wants to be against someone's rights? So the terminology that's out there in the culture now assumes the right exists mm-hmm. and that pro-life people want to take the right away. Yeah. And, uh, and I do think that this, um, this linguistic strategy has been quite successful. I mean, it, it, somehow there's something in the American psyche, and it doesn't matter what it is, if you phrase it long enough in terms of rights, it almost becomes uh, an mm-hmm. inevitable sort of thing in the minds of people. And other people are viewed, therefore, as attacking and taking away rights. You can see that in the, in the gay marriage debate now, right? Yeah. In, in many ways, the debate has been framed in terms of rights, discrimination, equality, and those who are opposed to gay marriage are demonized as uh, uh, mm-hmm. wicked people who want to take away what is already presumptively granted as a right. Mm -hmm. So true. Now what we're going to do is just take a short break. You're listening to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting, and today we're talking about abortion. And it was uh, 39 years ago, this coming Sunday, when uh, the United States Supreme Court handed down Roe v. Wade. And uh, it's had disastrous results since, in my humble opinion. Stay with us. We'll be right back after the break. I regret the hours I have wasted And the pleasures I have tasted That you were never in And I confess that though your love is in me It doesn't always win me when competing with my sin. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. 
Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And I return to fall in love with Jesus. I bow down on my knees and I And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. In the studio with me, the Reverend Mark Diedrich, and on the phone, the Reverend Kevin Sherritt. We've been talking about the whole area of abortion, and uh, we've spent a little time exploring some of the use of words that both sides in the argument will use. Um, We haven't said too much about what the Christian perspective is in terms of the use of words. And uh, so um, how would we frame it as Christians? Uh, Kevin, maybe you could get us started. Well, obviously we're going to be uh, shaped in the language we use to speak about this issue, as we are on others, by the, the word of Holy Scripture. And, and there, I think we see rather clearly that God is the author of all life from the beginning, that he has knit us together in our our mother's wombs, and that we are made in his image, and that no sharp distinction can be drawn between any part of prenatal life or between prenatal life and postnatal life in general. And so God uh, knows us, uh, as, as Jeremiah indicates in Jeremiah chapter 1, or Paul indicates in Galatians 1, he knows us from inside of our mother's womb. He knows us as personal being, and he knows us as his creation and in his image. And, and so um, this reframes uh, the kind of utilitarian ethic that's out there that, that views this as tissue or some, some disposable um, entity at, at the, uh, under the complete control of, of, of the mother or, or some mm-hmm. other entity. Yeah, I think Kevin's got the key words here. Uh, the image of God, the imago dei, is so important because what's happened with our society is, is they look at all life and what is the phrase, uh, a boy is a dog is a rat or something like that, you mm-hmm. know, uh, where they just look at life as life without understanding that human life is very special and that human life, uh, what makes that human life special is not as Kevin pointed out, the utilitarian aspect of it, and I'll tell you that—that's very personal to me. Yes. Um, uh, just just before Thanksgiving, my uh, my son and and daughter-in-law had their third child, and uh, little Anna was born with trisomy 18. Now, let me explain quickly what trisomy 18 is. It's a genetic uh, deformity which which affects every cell of the body. Mm. Uh, almost all trisomy 18 uh, babies, if they live, 
and very few of them do for very long, are, are mentally retarded. It's, it's a very uh, profound deformity. But when I held that little girl and I saw her deformed legs and her yes. deformed arms, I saw that this little girl had the Imago Dei. She had the Amen. image of God and she was as precious as the greatest genius or the greatest athlete uh, in the world. And it's because she contained that Imago Dei, the, yes. the image of God. Praise be to God. Yeah. That's right. I know you've really went through it there, and uh, someday, God willing, um, when your son and daughter-in-law come back on furlough, perhaps we'll have them join us here in the studio and talk in detail yeah. about that whole scenario. And I tell you, it is it grips the heart, yeah. what that young couple went through. In the womb um, is where a baby is formed and grows. I seem to recall that, um, at least in uh, crisis pregnancy centers and and such, um, some of them are blessed with the right equipment, such as um, the ultrasound, so that they can show the young lady or, or the, the right. woman uh, a picture of her baby that's the in ult- her womb. The ultrasound, yeah. And the ultrasound. And I've heard that um, many times it's so very helpful uh, to the lady in order to see this. Um, isn't it true that uh, abortion clinics um, are not typically showing the women the baby in their womb? That's right. This is interesting. This is a, this is a case which... Um, I was just listening to to, to a case and a different program mm-hmm. about uh, them using an ultrasound to distinguish between two twins mm. and to try and to one of the twins apparently had Downs and the other did not. Oh, yeah. And so they went to abort the uh, one with Downs and they got the wrong one. Oh, my. And so, yeah, well, I mean, the problem is they both are, are bearers of the image of God. Right, right. You don't touch either of them. And, and uh, ultrasound is used by abortion clinics to determine ages and to determine various things. Mm-hmm. But they do not show the woman the ultrasound images. Right. They, That's you know, what I've heard. And they, they, they won't do that, and there have been states that have been trying to pass legislation to require them to do that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one of the things that we've always prided ourselves on is let's be the most informed we can. Sure. And, and we want the doctors to inform us and, and so to be the most informed individuals. And so when legislature comes along that says, okay, let's inform these women, let's sh- make them show them the, the ultrasound, then all of a sudden the pro-abortion people comes crying and screaming, you cannot do that. Yeah. And uh, to me, uh, it's an outrageous thing. I was looking on Facebook. You know, we have a presence on Facebook as Redeemer Broadcasting. We just posted really quick that we were going to be uh, working on this program. And a couple people commented, and one of the ladies out on the West Coast commented, and I don't have it before me right now, but she was sharing that um, a number of years back she was pro-choice. Um, she was on the other side. But um, bottom line, God got a hold of her heart. He um, he gave her new life in Jesus Christ. And all how that changes things. How that changes things when, when God uh-huh. takes the heart and he wakens it spiritually and we become new people in Jesus Christ. And then we start seeking after God and, and loving God and wanting to obey his laws. And I tell you, it really does make a difference on how you view life. Um, have either of you gentlemen... Um, 
had any contact with those who uh, have been pregnant and um, maybe it was a crisis pregnancy and some of the emotions involved in these um, typically young ladies' lives and and uh, any comments that you would like to share? Well, yeah, I've had some over the years back, especially when we were involved with the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think there's an instinct um, that moms have, mothers have, to keep the child. I think, yeah. I think they have to be culturally coached <laughs> and, uh, and led along. And I, I, that's why Crisis Pregnancy Centers, if, you, if the law leaves them alone, are often very effective. Now, they're up at crisis pregnancy centers are up against enormous cultural forces now that yeah. view abortion as completely acceptable and not a problem. But, um, you know, there's, there's a good bit of uh, natural motherly instinct that is on our side, if you will, when you're mm-hmm. dealing with a woman in this situation. Yeah, Dan, I was reading up on some of this, and I, I had read a statistic. Well, there are a couple things first. One... A uh, young woman who was very much pro-life wanted to see what was going on in the in the Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. uh, situation, and uh, she walked into an abortion clinic. She said, "I'm 15 years old." She actually wasn't, but you know, she was mm-hmm. you know yeah. setting up a scenario. She said, "I'm 15 years old. My boyfriend is 23. I'm pregnant, and and I want to keep the baby." Now, the first thing that they told her is, first off, falsify your age so your boyfriend doesn't get in trouble. <laughs> the second thing they, they told her to do, and she said the woman worked very hard to convince her to have an abortion. Oh, my. In other words, she didn't even have the idea of, of keeping the baby as an option for her. Now, this was a particular Planned Parenthood one, but sure. apparently, I understand, that's pretty much their focus. And one of the other statistics that I had read was that in in one area, they said that half the women going in to Planned Parenthood really wanted an alternative. Mm. I mean, this is... They needed godly direction, basically. They they just didn't want to go in for an abortion. They wanted, when they first went in, they wanted an alternative mm-hmm. because they didn't want to have that abortion. Yeah. And as Kevin says, that's uh, that's a strong maternal in- instinct mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason I, I mentioned at the beginning, uh, and particularly Kevin, that you were involved with the Crisis Pregnancy Center, and I know, Mark, your heart is there 100%, is that uh, sometimes people will hear men talking about the issue of abortion and think that, Oh, you have no idea. You're just you're just being, you know, hard nosed, etc. But no, I mean, here's guys that have been been in the trenches trying to help people and trying to counsel people, and so much so as even founding and helping found a crisis pregnancy center. So um, we we approach this very gingerly, very carefully, and yet with very strong convictions uh, about life and this whole thing of the language that's used in these debates, I find it uh, almost offensive. Because why? Well, because God is the author of life. And in in many ways, this is an extremely simple issue. Uh, There is life in the womb. You know, two nights ago, um, I got a call. And you don't like it when calls like this come in. And uh, actually, my wife got the call, and, and I was listening. It was my son. He was just involved in a very serious automobile accident. Now, thanks be to God, he walked away from what could have easily have taken his life. The uh, The truck was totaled. 
and uh, it was a very serious accident, and it could have been potentially uh, uh, very serious for him. And I was just so impressed with the first responders and um, the the men that came out on that snowy evening in the middle of the night, 10, 11 o'clock at night, and lights flashing and, you know, just police and first aid, All it's all there. And, um, and yet, um, here is the most um, small little life, um, so weak, in its mother's womb. You, you would think that there is a place in the world that's going to be safe for that little one. And, and we need to stop, we really do, we need to stop focusing on a, quote, woman's right and start thinking about the little woman's right that's in that womb, that little baby, that, that little, can I call it innocent? And I, I don't want to get into the theology right now. I know he's not innocent, you know, I know he's inherited Adam's guilt and all of that, but in terms of his physical life, that, that little innocent life in its mother's womb, we need to see that that life needs to be protected. And can I even say, constitutionally, it should be protected? Kevin? Well, it, it certainly needs to be protected, and it's certainly, uh, it's interesting, the, the issue of original sin actually, of course, supports the dignity and personhood involved, right? Mm-hmm. You know, David would, would speak about being conceived in original sin in his mother's womb, and so the, the, yes. the doctrine mm-hmm. of original sin establishes the reality of, of the personhood there. But you're, of course, right that in any civil way, the child's innocent. Uh, now, as far as whether it should be constitutionally protected or not, I think you can make a good case for that based on the, the declaration, you know, under our system. But there are there are good pro-life people who would rather just kick the whole thing back to the states and not deal with it at the federal mm-hmm. level. That, that, that's a more of a tactical question, it seems to me. Yes, yes. Now, I'm just looking at the clock here. We've got about only about uh, five more minutes left to the broadcast. Um, why don't we have a couple of wrap-up thoughts and... Mark, you haven't had a chance to speak recently, so why don't you begin and give us a, a wrap-up thought. Maybe someone out there is groping today and, and really needs help. Okay. The, I just have a couple things. Psalm mm-hmm. 139 really talks about how fearfully and wonderfully we were made. It also talks about in there about how David hates the wicked and, and, and the judgment. It almost seems anomalous, but I think it yeah. it belongs there because what David is doing is saying, God, you are, you are mighty, you've done wonderfully in creation. We need to oppose those who oppose you. Abortion opposes God because it, yes. it takes the life of the, the innocent, in your way, Dan, uh, the, the, those who have the Imago Dei. Mm-hmm. But you know what? There are what I call the guilty victims of abortion. In mm-hmm. other words, they are, they are the mothers, they are the, the parents who've gone through an abortion, and yeah, they agreed to it at the time, but they they feel guilty, and yes. there's a, a lot of remorse. You know, there's an answer for that, and that answer is Jesus Christ. He came to die for sinners, and there's not a sin that you know so heinous that he can't forgive it. You yes. could have had you know several abortions, and uh, his death on the cross and his resurrection is so so great that it will uh, forgive those who trust in him. Amen. Yeah. And Kevin? Well, I guess what I'd say about this, Dan, is, I mean, it, it, um, is that this issue is really 
fundamentally different from any other sorts of political issues. This gets obscured every time we get into the political season like we are now. I think it has profound consequences for the shape of our public life. I think a lot of the cheapening and coarsening and degrading aspects of our culture are tied back to forces we let loose almost 40 years ago with Roe versus Wade. You simply Mm -hmm. cannot kill 50 million unborn children, future American citizens, and think that um, your your national discourse and your national soul are going to remain well-ordered and sane. Hmm. And so I think a lot of the lunacy which we see in our public life began. I, wouldn't, you know, I don't want to overstate this. I don't want to say this is the source of all evils in the world. But a lot of our lunacy is tied to this. I mean, when you have Absolutely. a political class which justifies this sort of a thing, when you have courts which, which uh, essentially established this kind of a right by, by really divination uh, in the mm-hmm. Constitution, right? I mean, uh, Blackman in Roe versus Wade said that they, you know, the right to privacy was, was found in the emanations of the penumbra of the Bill of Rights. You know, <laughs> it, it's not in the text. It, they ma- it's like yeah. a magical conjuring act to get yeah. this thing legally. Um, you're involved in something uh, extraordinarily twisted and bloody and dark and violent, and it has affected our ability to just think and to reason culturally, mm-hmm. and, and that's the judgment of God, and that that's brings it. us back to the gospel that Mark articulated. Yeah, amen. Yeah. It's a judgment of God. You're absolutely right. Yes. That's, that's it. So in summary today, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. Um, we just want to add that... Um, if you have a question for either of these fine pastors, feel free to email us. We'll forward your uh, question to either of them. Our address is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. That's ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. We want to help. Um, if you need a connection to those in the crisis pregnancy arena, um, you've listened to this. We'll help you get in touch with them. Contact us, please. We'd love to help. Today in the studio with me has been the Reverend Mark Diedrich on the phone, the Reverend Kevin Sherrod. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. No one else to blame And I return To fall in love with Jesus I bow down